But let's go ahead and open with a word of prayer and we'll get started. Dear Heavenly Father, um, before we even begin to, to think about uh, anything that we're going to be learning today, I just want to thank you for being the God that you are and a God that hears prayer and a God that answers prayer. And uh, Lord, I thank you for all the blessings and the gifts that you've already given to us, above all the gift of salvation and the hope of eternal life, that as we pass from this life to the next, that Lord, we have that great comfort of hope that only you can bring, that peace that passes all understanding. And Lord, I just uh, do pray for the Bayer family and for the Bard family as well, um, and everybody that's involved in this situation, including the congregation and the church that's over there, and the work um, that, Lord, you would just, uh, uh, according to your will, um, handle this situation. And, Lord, we definitely pray that she would be healed. We definitely pray that it would be something that uh, would be uh, overcome in the physical sense, that the doctors would uh, be given wisdom and uh, even possibly, Lord, confusion as they see uh, that this just disappearing and Lord, you know, we know that that's capable and we know that, uh, that you can do, uh, anything because of who you are. And Lord, we just pray that, um, that above all, above everything, that your glory, honor, and praise will be seen throughout all of that. And Lord, uh, we do pray for tonight and we just pray our hearts would be soft and ready to receive. Lord, we pray that uh, we would be very much focused on uh, what you are teaching us about your fear and, Lord, um, what it's about and uh, why it is so important. And I thank you again, Lord, for just uh, giving us your word that does give us the instruction that also gives us the comfort um, during times of difficulty. And I pray, Lord, that tonight we would just keep our mind focused upon you, focused upon what your word tells us that, Lord, we would grow in you and we would have a desire to please you and honor you. And all of this I ask and pray in your son's precious and holy name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, we're going to continue talking a little bit about the fear of the Lord. I, I, I got through uh, part of what we were talking about uh, last week, um, again, kind of introducing some some basic concepts of what the fear of the Lord is about and kind of even looking at uh, kind of a, a working definition of the word fear. And, and again, when we talk about fear, uh, you know, kind of giving it that uh, definition, it is the, uh, the care, concern, and consideration of the heart and mind that's regarding an event or a person uh, or a thing or even the unknown or the uncertainty of life that, if you will, motivates and drives one to a specific action. So that's that's the purpose of the emotion that God gave us. Um, and again, when we are taking into consideration in the care and the concern of something that we can't control, we have what is called an irrational fear. That's that spirit of fear that he warns Timothy about. Uh, uh, that uh, um, it can be a concern in our life. It's the one that he constantly says, fear not. But we are commanded to fear him, and that is that we are to put the Lord in his proper place in our heart and in our mind. And it is to sanctify the Lord, as we saw over there in Isaiah chapter 8. But very clearly, it's to uh, have the care, if you will, concern and consideration of the Lord in everything that we do. 
And that drives us and motivates us to the action and the the words and the thoughts that we are supposed to have. If the Lord is not part of that fear and isn't uh, isn't the one that is thought of first in the priority, then the end result is is we wind up with a irrational fear. We wind up with a fear that is uh, um, outside of God's will, that is outside of His trust. So I want to see some, uh, you know, from, from scripture, I want to show some practical uses of why the fear of the Lord is so important. We talked about a little bit about what it produces, about uh, wisdom, about knowledge, uh, you know, understanding. We know that the fear of the Lord can prolong life. Um, and, and, I, and I want to show how that works. So the first place I want to stop is over in Second Chronicles. I should not say stop, but start. Um, and, and I, and I want to show how that works. So the first place I want to stop is over in second Chronicles. I should not say stop, but start, uh, second Chronicles chapter 19, uh, second Chronicles chapter 19. And we have a situation where, uh, Jehoshaphat is, uh, um, uh, ruling and reigning here in this passage. Um, he's, uh, um, uh, here specifically to, you know, in, in this passage, uh, talking to the, the people of his, um, his kingdom. And we see here, uh, something that he does. And in verse five, this is where I want to start. It says in verse five, it says, and he sent judges in the, the land throughout all the fenced cities of Judah, city by city. And he said to the judges, take heed what ye do. For ye judge not for man, but for the Lord who is with you in the judgment. Now, he, he's, he's setting something up here. He's, he's setting up a situation so that individuals can have people to go to to help them with the judgment, to help them with discernment. These judges, if you will, are, you know, sometimes, uh, I've heard them kind of related to kind of, if you will, pastors of the land and things of that nature. But regardless, they were called judges. And we see that there was judges that, uh, were back before the, the kings that came into, uh, um, uh, into the land. And, uh, you know, we had Saul and King David and then obviously the separation of the two kingdoms. And, and here we are with this kingdom of Judah and we have Jehoshaphat. And he sees the need for individuals to get some assistance with judging matters. And we're talking day-to-day judgment. And if you take a look at it today, day-to-day judgment, that's really in question. Uh, you Again, you can look at people's lives and you can look at the world and you go, wait a second, out of all the choices you made, you judge that one was the best choice? And, and, and we kind of have that, if you will, that, uh, uh, kind of eyebrow raising question. But here he is, he's, he's providing something for the, you know, the necessity for the, uh, the, the people. And he wants to make sure that they understand that this isn't about judging for the purpose of men. This is about judging for the Lord. Now, I want you to see how he begins to describe this and how Jehoshaphat goes into this. In verse 7, he says, Wherefore now, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Take heed and do it. For there is no iniquity with the Lord our God, nor respect of persons, nor taking of gifts. And he's giving a warning about bribery. 
Verse 80 says, moreover in Jerusalem, did Jehoshaphat set of the Levites and of the priests and of the chief of the fathers of Israel for the judgment of the Lord and for controversies when they returned to Jerusalem. And he charged them saying, thus shall ye do in the fear of the Lord faithfully and with a perfect heart that what cause soever shall come to you of your brethren that dwell in the cities between blood and blood, between law and commandment, statutes and judgments, you shall even warn them that they trespass not against the Lord, so the wrath cannot come upon you and upon your brethren, this do, and ye shall not trespass. Now, th- this is an important principle that he's establishing. Obviously, here we see, if you will, an establishment of what we would consider courts today. Um, there was, uh, you know, again, as he says here, any type of uh, disagreement or controversy or judgment that comes up, they're supposed to judge according to the law. They, they, they take a look at what the law says and they interpret it and they say, this is what needs to happen. We have that today. There are laws that are written and there are courts that interpret it. Uh, there's courts that pass sentences. There are courts that, uh, uh, if you will, give uh, uh, guidance and direction, such as the Supreme Court and what they do. Um, you know, again, they're not about making laws, but they're about interpreting the laws and interpreting what laws have been put in, whether they're really, if you will, legal or constitutional or uh, whether they can even be enforced. So one of the things that we see about this, though, is how Jehoshaphat told them to go about judging. And it was specifically to be done in the fear of the Lord. Now, the reason why I'm bringing this up is because when we start talking about the fear of the Lord, and we go back over there to Isaiah chapter 11, and we see the Messianic prophecy of Jesus Christ saying that there would be the fear of the Lord in him. Uh, and obviously, as man, that's uh, what was was going on there. Uh, what we see is, is we see that the Lord used that in such a way to demonstrate the need for righteous judgment. Without a person fearing God, they are not going to make the right decision. Uh, you, you, you can have people, if you will, and I don't even want to say the word, uh, be lucky with it. But, uh, you know, again, uh, sometimes they, 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 uh, are, are blessed to, to choose the right way. But I will tell you this, uh, if you want to choose the right way all the time, the fear of the Lord is necessary. Uh, if a person does not understand what the fear of the Lord is, they're not going to make righteous judgment calls. They're going to make very fleshly judgment calls that are biased. And who are they going to be biased for? Themselves. Just like he was talking about making sure that, uh, uh, that they understand that the Lord doesn't do that. He's not a respecter of persons, nor does he take gifts. You know, that's why it's sometimes just ridiculous that people will will say, "Well, well, well, I tithe of God, and and, and I, 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 you know, tithe to God, and I, I should be receiving some blessings because of that, and and I shouldn't be going through difficult times." Like, you really honestly think God can be bought with your ten percent? I'm like, um, let's see here. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I mean, this world is His, and everything else around it. He doesn't need our money. He doesn't, he, he doesn't need any of that. 
He uses it, but I'll tell you this, you're not going to buy God's favor with it. It's about the heart anyways. Giving has always been about the heart. Giving has always been uh, purposed behind uh, uh, that uh, willingness to do it. Uh, again, there's people that can give, but they give begrudgingly. Well, God's going to give them begrudgingly. And you think about it that way, the way that it's returned back to them. They're like, well, I don't want to give this. Well, and then they wonder why they go through problems. But I'm not preaching prosperity theory here or anything of that nature, but I'm just saying that the willingness to give is God's main concern. But what we find here is we find that he says very clearly in these two verses, uh, specifically uh, verse 7 and verse 9, the fear of the Lord. And it may, I want to make sure when we take a look at verse 7 that we see this principle. He says, Wherefore now let the fear of the Lord be upon you, take heed and do it, for there is no iniquity with the Lord our God. Now here's one of the key important principles. Just like the will of God, which is going to be difficult to discern if you don't fear God, just like the will of God is, the fear of the Lord does not contain any iniquity. It's not a sinful thing. Fear can be used in a sinful manner. Anger can be used in a sinful manner. Happiness can be used in a sinful manner. Sadness can be used in a sinful manner. Anything that man touches can be used in a sinful manner. Uh, we find more creative ways of doing that in sinful manners. But what he's saying here specifically is, is that if God is not having any part of iniquity, the fear of the Lord should not include it either. We should not say, I fear God and continue to do that which is wrong. Continue to do that which is evil. You know, again, I go back to what Charles Spurgeon once said. He said, uh, and this is back in the 1800s, okay? In the 1800s, one thing he said is, he says, you, you take a look at people today, he says, one thing I know is that people don't believe the word of God. He says, here's the reason why people don't believe the word of God. He said, if they actually believed that Jesus Christ could come back at any moment in time, they wouldn't be doing the things they were doing. Could you imagine how awkward that would be? There you are, robbing the bank. I know I use this one a lot. I am not a bank robber, okay? <laughs> I don't even sit there and think about it or contemplate it, all right? But, you know, there, there there's the person, and, and they're robbing the bank, and, and right in the middle of it, the trumpet sounds. So they're gone. Everybody's like, what happened? And uh person's standing in front of the Lord, and they're like, uh, <laughs> and Jesus is kind of asking, what were you doing? <laughs> uh, <laughs> how do you explain that one? You can't. You can't. You know, the Bible says there's a crown for those that love their, the love is appearing. Now you think about that for a second. It's kind of hard to love is appearing if you're right in smack dab in the middle of doing something that you're loving for yourself creates a bit of a problem. 
So what we find here is we find that the Lord is obviously there's no iniquity with him. There isn't going to be any when it comes to the fear of the Lord. So when we're we're acting upon the fear of the Lord, as we saw that it does prompt us to do, it, he's never going to tell us you need to do it in iniquity. That's never going to be, if you will, the logical judgment call. In verse 9, where he says that he charged them, he says, Thus shall ye do in the fear of the Lord faithfully and with a perfect heart. And those are two things that are required of God when we start talking about the fear of the Lord. Faithfulness and a perfect heart. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. A perfect heart. Why would that be a charge that would be given unless it can be done? So it's something that we as believers need to, again, really fall back on and say, I can do that. I can follow the Lord. It's just a choice of whether we do or whether we don't. And this is what he's saying. It's got to be a faithful thing. So what I wanted to point out with this subject matter with the fear of the Lord is this, is that not only is it involving uh, no iniquity, there's no iniquity, there's no sin involved in it. Not only is it to, to be involved with a heart motive that is perfect towards God, meaning that you are following him with everything about it, but you are also doing it faithfully. We have that word that we we talk about with faithfulness, you know, uh, um, and above all, the, the one that is faithful is the one that is called faithful with a capital F. That's Jesus Christ. And he was faithful unto death. He followed all the way through. Our God is always faithful. I mean, we know people that aren't loyal. We know people that are not faithful. We know people that uh, um, just, uh, uh, if you will, are indifferent about things and, and they just don't care. Well, what's the end result? If God was not faithful. Any moment in time, this whole thing could just fly apart. Any moment in time, God could just stop at all and 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 we have to understand who who god is and and how great his faithfulness is you know, i i've studied other religions um you know everything from buddhism and um you know jehovah's witness and um mormonism and islam and all those things and i'll tell you this you know what? One thing I find is that there's a lack of faithfulness with those religions. Allah is not a faithful God. Why? Because you can martyr yourself in the name of Allah. You can pray five times a day. You can follow the holy month of Ramadan every single day of your, or every single year of your life. And you can visit Mecca how many ever times you can in your life. And the Quran says that Allah may or may not allow you into paradise. Because according to Allah, 
he says every good Muslim should go to hell. Yeah, they don't tell you that about that religion. And that's, that's a disturbing thing that we realize. But one of the key things that we have to understand is, is that our God is faithful. We can rely on him. That's where this fear of the Lord comes really into place is because we can put him in that position of saying, he is God, he is my savior, I will follow him, I will do his will. And we are, if you will, as the the Bible calls it, sanctifying him in that position in our hearts. Because we know that he's not a man, that he's going to lie. We know that for a fact. So as we look at this, we find that very clearly there, there, there begins to, if you will, some things being taught about what the fear of the Lord is about. The fear of the Lord is going to involve these things, and it's going to specifically exclude sin. Now I want us to go over to Psalm chapter 19. Psalm chapter 19 and see a couple of, uh, a couple of things here, or one thing about this, and then we'll move to another psalm here. But uh, here it is uh, talking about um, uh, the, you know, giving praise to God and um, uh, his glory and um, all of that. And uh, we know in verse 7, it says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. I, I, I like those verses because it reaffirms the fact that the Bible is not filled with errors. And people claim it's filled with errors, but every single time you try to have somebody bring it up and you try to see those errors, you find that very clearly it's not the case. It's not the case. As you go down a little bit further here, uh, he says in verse 8, he says, The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart, meaning that when you do that which the Lord is asking, you're going to have joy. The commandment of the Lord is pure, and it's enlightening the eyes. Again, he's not going to ask you to do something that is impure. He's going to ask you to do that which is right from the commandments. And what is it going to do? It's going to give enlightenment. You know how many religions are devoted to seeking enlightenment? You know, sometimes you really want some people to be enlightened. You ever meet the person that's dull? You just you, you 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 try to tell them the truth, and they just kind of stare at you like they just don't get it. It's like the you know the I wouldn't even say that the lights are on in nobody's home. It's just like it's like a vacant lot. <laughs> I mean, you're just kind of it, it just seems like you're 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 getting nowhere. But real enlightenment comes from doing God's will. As we look down a little bit further, though, here in verse 9, this is the one that I wanted to get to. It says, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. But I want you to see that phrase there where it says, the the fear of the Lord is clean. Is clean. You know what happens when you go through this life? You get dirty. Get dirty. You know, we're, we're taught to wash our hands before we eat something. 
We're, we're taught that if it falls on the floor, you don't pick it up and put it in your mouth, right? Um, yeah, you, regardless of the five-second rule, okay? <laughs> you ever have that debate with yourself? As it's laying on the floor and you're counting to five and you're going, is it worth it? Is it not worth it? I really want that, though. All right, you know what? <clears throat> it's just kind of like, hmm, I don't know. Uh, just, just, just think about it this way. Would you pull it out of the dog's mouth and eat it? Um, then the answer is if it falls on the floor, avoid it. Uh, that being said, this is coming from somebody that, you know, again, you know, I don't think I'd call myself a germaphobe, but I do know what's on the floor and microbiology teaches us it's not good. Um, but it's, uh, you know, it's dirty. You go out and do a, a, a day's labor. You come back home, you're, you're, you're dirty, you're sweaty, nasty, smelly, stinky, whatever it is, right? Uh, you go out, you work on a car. What happens? You come back in and you're not clean. I mean, there's all these things that we begin to, to realize. You know, you go through uh, um, life for, you know, a few days without, you know, cleaning yourself. It gets bad. I remember when I was in the hospital here recently and, uh, you know, it had been a, a few days before they would let me have a shower because, you know, obviously the incision and everything like that. And I was just like, you know, at one point in time, I'm like, ah, but Lord, he stinketh. I mean, <laughs> it just, I just remember it was like, man, I, I need something. This is, I mean, this is more than a breath mint and some deodorant can cover. This is, this is something serious. And, um, you know, and finally getting that opportunity and, and if you will, just such a, a relief that it was. But, but I say this about the fear of the Lord is that we have to understand that the fear of the Lord is clean. You know, we go through this life, and I will tell you, you can come out uh, uh, feeling spiritually dirty as you go through a day. Um, you, I mean, we are inundated with stuff today. Uh, just, just the utter filth that is out there is just like, I mean, it just bombards us from every corner. Um. And, 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 and I, they, they keep, if you will, progressing more and more and more and more and more bold in it as it's being, uh, if you will, demonstrated throughout society. And you, sometimes you, you just, you, you just get that like, ugh, kind of feeling. But, Fearing God is always going to produce, if you will, that clean mindset. And the reason that I want to focus on this is because if we are going to focus on doing that which is holy, we're going to focus on doing that which is pure, that which is right, righteous, that which is perfect. The fear of the Lord has got to be part of it. It's the beginning stage of it. Because again, if I'm not considering the fact of who God is in the fear, that he doesn't do iniquity, that he can't be bought, 
He can't be bribed. Then I need to understand that there's a certain way that God wants me to behave. See how that fear just kind of, if you will, uh, automatically motivates you to do what is right. Because if God is holy, why would he want you doing anything less than that? Why would he want us doing anything that is outside of that? Well, he doesn't. He says, be ye holy as I am holy. And while we think that that may be a difficult thing to do, it's only as difficult as we succumb to various different temptations. Remember, he's always given us a way to escape it. So this fear of the Lord, we begin to realize that it's going to be of a pure nature. It's going to be, if you will, of of, of a clean, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, a cleanliness concept. The washing part. So when we begin to put this together with with these other verses that we just read over in Second Chronicles we can start to see how the fear of the Lord motivates action. When God is considered, when God is, we care about what God thinks, when we're concerned about doing what is right according to him, that is going to cause us to do or contemplate that which is right, to do it the correct way. Turn over to chapter 34 of the book of Psalms. This is one of my favorite chapters of the Psalms. Um, um, and, you know, again, the, the concept behind the entire chapter is found in the very first phrase. I will bless the Lord at all times. Meditate on that for a little bit. I will bless the Lord. We're always looking for blessings from God. How do I bless God? And it's not just blessing him here and blessing him there. It's No, it's blessing him at all times. I will bless the Lord at all times. Notice that, that punctuation there. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. That lines up over there with James chapter 3. How can you be a perfect man? Bridle the whole body. Control what you say. Best way to control what you say is if you fill your mouth with praise and thanksgiving and glory to God, it's really hard to say something that is wrong. Nation of Israel got themselves into trouble. How many times when they started murmuring? Remember that verse over there in Numbers? And it says, and the Lord heard it and it didn't end well for a lot of people again when we have that desire to just continually praise God for who he is and what he's done and that's what's coming out of my mouth continually it's really hard to enter into saying anything otherwise but as we go through here this a little bit further, I want to jump down to, to the one part in verse 11 where it says, Come ye, children, hearken unto me, 
I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Now, this is important because in verse 11, he says this is teachable. This is teachable. You know what I like about this? We like to think that emotions just happen, right? Emotions just occur. Um, the, the other day, I, I showed uh, my wife and uh, Abby, uh, I don't know if Emma saw it, but uh, it was a, a picture of on the molecular level of what happiness looks like. And it, it showed these little things moving along this tendril, and they were dragging behind them this, if you will, uh, endorphin, which we all know is the When you look at it with that, you know, that powerful microscope. Uh, but, but I will say this, it's, it's pretty impressive to, to realize that God created us in such a way with all of these hormones and all of these, everything like that. And we can use them to please God, meaning we can choose our emotions. We can choose our emotional response. Now, sometimes that, that that seems like it may be difficult, but how many times have we read through Scripture and we've looked at situations and problems that people are going through and we relate to some and not to the others? They see Jesus Christ walking on the water. They start screaming. They're afraid. There's, a, there's, a, there's an armed soldier in front of Joshua. He takes his sword out and he's ready to fight. He's like, are you with us or are you against us? What was his emotion? Wasn't fear. Wasn't fear. And what happens is somebody comes at you with a weapon. You see somebody standing in your way with a weapon. Fear is going to probably kick in, right? Not Joshua. You see somebody like Goliath standing in front of you. You going to be a David? You going to go pick up five stones and get ready to embed them in his skull? And lop his head off? I mean, again, we see all of these things and we understand there's th- th- that we have choices. So when it comes to the fear of the Lord, it makes perfect sense that we have that choice. It's a teachable thing. It can be taught. It can be taught. In verse 12, he begins to go through and he, 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 he kind of, again, shows some of the benefits, if you will, of what the fear of the Lord is. He says, what man is he that desireth life and loveth many good days that he may see good? If you're a person that, 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 that desires to live and you, you know, want to see a few more years and you want to see good in this life, you're going to bring the fear of the Lord into it. 
There's a lot of, there's a lot of Christian mentality that runs around that we just want this thing to be over with. We want the Lord to come. And I do. Absolutely I do. Cause every day you look at it and you go, oh, we can't get any worse. Oh yeah, we can. And they just keep escalating it, right? But, but I'll tell you this. I don't want to end my life any sooner. If the Lord grants me more life, praise the Lord for it. I want to continue to live for him. I want to continue to serve him. I want to continue to give glory uh, to him every single day of my life. I want more years. I love this life that the Lord gave me. Yeah, I want to see good. So you know where it starts? It starts in my heart and my mind with the fear of the Lord. I can't control anyone else. But I sure can let the Lord use me however he sees fit. So in verse 13 here, he says, this is, this is how you're going to do it. You want to see all that good? You want to love life? You want to, uh, love all these days and desire it? Uh, and, and you want to be taught it? Here's, here's the first thing. Verse 13, keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Man, why does these things keep going back to James chapter three? <laughs> It's like James chapter 3 is like a pinnacle of the scriptures. It is. It's one of the most important uh, chapters in all of the Bible. You're like, well, that's kind of a bold statement. Well, they're all important. But I'll tell you this. When you see a chapter that says, it starts off with, if you want to know how to be perfect, here's how. And it all comes down to controlling what you say. We find it very fitting that the Lord would say, when it comes to the fear of the Lord, you want to be taught the fear of the Lord? Keep your tongue from evil. Keep your tongue from evil. And thy lips from speaking guile. That is a big thing, isn't it? How often has our tongue got us into trouble? Our lips uttered something that it shouldn't have. Something got out of our mouth and got past the gate and we went, what? Can't take that one back. No, don't try to take it back. Apologize for it. Say you were wrong and, you know, repent. I mean, that's the whole idea behind it. But here he says, when it comes to the fear of the Lord, and, and, and trust me, this is what a fear, fear of the Lord looks like with somebody. Somebody that watches what they say. Well, there's a whole passages over in Ephesians that talk about how we're supposed to say things. We're supposed to edify one another. We're supposed to have it with grace. Over in Colossians, it talks about uh, seasoned with salt, so it's palatable. All of these things that we know about what we're supposed to say. And here he says, the first part, if you want to be taught the fear of the Lord, the first thing you do is just watch what you say. Why is that? Because when it comes out of our lips, where do you think it goes? Right to God's ears. Could you imagine if we walked around and every single time we said something that we weren't supposed to, there was like a little like siren or something that went off? Like an air raid siren or if you live in the Midwest, a tornado siren or something like that? 
You ever get those amber alerts on your phone and they make you jump out of your skin? Cause you're not, you're not, you, you just, you, you don't know what's going on. All of a sudden your phone starts making the screeching sound and you're like, ah, oh, okay. Amber alert. And you check it and so on and so forth. But you know, what happened if every single time our words, what we said, something like that happened? We'd probably be a lot more diligent, wouldn't we? But understand this, everything that we say, God writes down. Could you imagine those those angels that have to write that down? He said, what? <laughs> you what? I don't even know how to spell that. <laughs> I mean, that would be a little disconcerting. Angels are writing it down and they're going, and you redeemed this guy? Okay. Well, they don't understand that. They don't understand redemption like we do. But here he says, this is one of the things. Look, I mean, I think all of us here want to be Christians that fear God. Anybody that's trusted the Lord as their Savior wants to enter into that fear. And it should guide us. This is why I said it not only guides our thoughts, uh, or excuse me, our actions, but it guides our thoughts. Because remember, also what we think is also taken into account. Because we say a lot of stuff up here, don't we? There's a lot of things that are said up here that never get past this point. You know what? You should really praise God for that. Because if, just imagine if this was unfiltered and it just came out. Most of us would have no friends, be married, or even be anywhere remotely employed. Everybody would be ostracized in society. There would be no, there would be zero politics. Everybody would be at war with one another. That's how bad that would be. Small praises, right? But again, whatever is in our thought process, we need to make sure we bring that into captivity. That thought appears. Nope, that's not a right thought. Needs to be put away. Nope, can't have that. Nope, put it away. That's how we have to approach it. But here he is in the the next verse, in verse 14, he says, uh, in, in continuing this about teaching the fear of the Lord, he says, depart from evil. Depart from evil and do good, seek peace, and pursue it. So first thing we do is we keep our tongue and lips. The next thing we do is we depart from evil. If a person fears God, you know what happens? They are going to run away from evil like Joseph did with Potiphar's wife. They're going to depart. Evil shows up in the presence, other direction. Isn't it interesting that when we started talking about the fear of the Lord, we talked about the fight or flight mentality? The fear of the Lord, when it comes to evil that is present in in your life, depart. What does he say? Flee youthful lusts. Flee fornication. 
flee, 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 flee. There's a time to fight. He says there's a time to fight. But there's also a time to run. There's also a time to, if you will, depart from it. Because when you depart from evil, you're going to head towards that which is good. You're going to do what's good. So we begin to see a pattern here. We see this pattern of, okay, if I'm departing from evil, then I'm going to gravitate towards those things that are good. Because something has to occupy my time. I have to be in some place. If I can't be around evil, then the only thing that I can be around is good. And again, to be around that which is good, that requires you to be in the presence of the Lord. So we find very clearly here, he says, this is what we need to do. Part of that also involves seeking peace and pursuing it. We just, you know, we're human beings. What do we want to do? We want to fight. We like a good fight. People pay good money to watch fights. People pay tons of money to watch people kick each other's heads in and then yell and scream, scream for more blood. Yay. It's like the gladiators. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, well, well, they're, you know, it's not that bad. Well, I don't know about that. It's pretty, pretty brutal. Pretty brutal. But again, you know, people like fights. People want to go to a fight. Fight starts happening. What happens next? A crowd forms. You ever notice that? Somebody starts fighting, and then what happens? People start gathering in a circle around it. Why? Because they want to participate and watch it. They get sucked into it. You know what God says? Seek peace. If we can keep our mouths and our lips and we can depart from evil and we can do that which is good, then peace is going to be something that we naturally begin to look for. It's something that we're going to want. We're going to look for it. We're not going to look for conflict. We're not going to look for strife. We're not going to look for division. We're not going to look for anything like that. What are we going to want? We're going to want peace. People want peace in their homes, but yet they won't fear God. People want peace in this country, yet we won't fear God. People want peace in the world, yet we won't fear God. Well, considering he's the Prince of Peace, then we have to actively have him involved in it. But as he says here, it's it's something that you have to seek. You have to look for it. Peace just doesn't happen. Peace comes when you're actively looking for it. Peace comes when you begin to pursue it. What does that mean? Peace is always on the move. Like we should be. On our daily walk. Heading down that path of peace. I want to turn to one last passage here. 
and get to there, and that's over in Proverbs chapter 2. Again, to show some of this practical nature of what the fear of the Lord does. Proverbs chapter 2, and verse 1 through 5, says, My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments uh, with thee, so that thou incline thy heart to unto wisdom and apply thine heart to understanding. Notice that it's the heart that's being applied to understanding, not understanding to the heart. Here are yea, if thou criest after knowledge and liftest up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver and searchest for her as for hid treasures, then thou shalt understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. He just went through and told you how to find the fear of the Lord. Now, what is that? Receiving the word, inclining unto it. That means that's your leaning. Everybody talks about left-leaning, right-leaning, and all that, and the moderates and centrists and so on and so forth. Uh, no, we need to be leaning towards God. We need to be inclined towards Him. Our inclination should always to be should always be to do His will. So He says, "They're inclined our ear unto it." What does that mean? It means we want to hear it. We don't put in earplugs like they did with Stephen. We find here, he says, incline thy ear unto wisdom, and he says, apply thine heart to understanding. Receive, incline, and apply it. These are all things that we do with what? The word of God. And furthermore, cry and lift up our voice. Cry and lift up our voice. I guess I should count those as one. You know what that is? That's prayer. That's prayer. I mean, we're seeing the Christian life right here, don't we? You know, it's God, Jesus, Bible, prayer, right? Those are things that we, 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 I mean, you know, we're, we're taught at a young age. Those are, those are the answers. We find right here the Bible and we find prayer being involved with that. And what are we praying for? We're praying for knowledge. We're praying for wisdom. I mean, that's something that has to happen every single day. You know, today, you know, uh, actually yesterday and today, you've got these massive projects dumped on my plate and it's just, I mean, they're just like horrific. And I'm just sitting there going, and I'm trying to read it, and I'm just like, this doesn't even make it sense. And it's like, you just have to just sit there and go, Lord, I help me. What are they saying here? I gotta get, I gotta cut through this fog. Help me ask the right questions. What are you doing? You're seeking wisdom from the Lord. You're seeking knowledge from Him. You do that, and what happens next is you start searching. Searches for her as for hid treasures. And I've, I've talked about this verse a lot because it's an important one. How actively are you seeking God in his word? Like I said, if I told everybody in Ridgefield that if we're here in this back parking lot, I've hid $5 million worth of gold. Be here on Sunday with shovels. You think we'd have a full parking lot? We wouldn't even have a parking lot. 
It'd be dug down, like, all the way down to the basement. Maybe I should do that. <laughs> Have them clean this up a little bit. And then, uh, yeah, anyways. <laughs> but, you know, if I was to say that, how earnestly are people going to do that? One of the things they talk about treasure hunters is that treasure hunters get really, I mean, they get focused on on, on seeking those things. So much so it becomes obsession with them. They get so obsessed at f- about finding that treasure, they're willing to risk life and limb to do it. There have been treasures that have been talked about throughout the world, and you know how many people have lost their lives looking for that, looking for them? There's supposedly some train car filled with gold that's Nazi gold hidden somewhere in Poland. And the Polish government's like, no, you cannot just go digging around our country looking for it. (laughs) Stop with the bulldozers and the excavators. You know? And if you think you find it, guess who you have to talk to? You have to talk to the local police and the local... Uh, uh, you know, regional government and you have to talk with the federal government over there and you got to start, you know, and everybody's like, oh, oh we want to find this Nazi gold. You know what? I really wouldn't want to touch anything they touched, but okay. Um, but people will seek after that, right? How actively, would, would people be willing to seek God that much in his word on a day-to-day basis? Like it was that valuable? Oh, he is far more valuable than that. The Bible talks about how valuable wisdom is and, and a price far above rubies. You go over there, Proverbs 31, woman. By the way, she's also called wisdom in chapter 8. Now, Proverbs 31, woman is the epitome of wisdom. Because the book of Proverbs is about two different women. Which one does your heart follow? Which one does your heart follow? You start doing stuff like that. Receiving, inclining, applying, crying, searching. Guess what's going to happen? You're going to understand the fear of the Lord. You're going to understand the fear of the Lord. And you're going to have a greater knowledge of who he is. Which again, is that first part where we're sanctifying God in our hearts. Who he is. You can't, you can't sanctify God if you do not know what his, what he wants, what he likes, what he hates, what, what is important to him. Can't know him. You can't know him unless you know his attributes. Grace, mercy, him being love itself. I mean, just just the fact that he's all-powerful and all-knowing. All of these things that we begin to realize, I tell you, that this becomes so important in our Christian life. How much do you really want to know Jesus? And I'll tell you, that desire of the heart that he talks about in the first four verses here will lead right into that fearing God. Because you're going to care more about what he thinks 
than what we think. What man thinks. And you're not going to fear man. You're not going to care what man thinks. You're only going to say what's going to motivate my actions, my words, and my thoughts is going to be knowing who my Savior really is. That's why the fear of the Lord is so important. Let's go ahead and uh, dismiss with a word of prayer. differently. Father, again, I thank you for the time. Thank you again, Lord, for just continuing to lead us through this uh, study. And Lord, there's so much more that we could discuss and talk about when it comes to fearing you. But Lord, it's pretty clear from what we see in Scripture that the desire is, is for your holiness to know more about you, that, Lord, we may please you with our life. I thank you again, Lord, for those that are here. I pray you just take us home safely tonight and uh, bring us again uh, back safe uh, for our Friday Bible studies and also for our uh, potluck service on Sunday. Thank you again, Lord, for just uh, giving us an opportunity to meet tonight. And this I ask and pray in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.